Welcome to this week's episode of TechShift F9. I am Maurizio Raffone, and the TSF9 podcast is a passion project of mine, aimed at helping people looking at career transitions, particularly from a tech angle. This week, we'll be discussing career transitions from the point of view of companies and of managers running such companies, and looking ahead at trends in the job market. I'm very excited to introduce this week's guest, Dieter Haberl. Dieter joins us from Tokyo, where he's the CEO of Excellence at Work, a recruiting and people solutions company helping enterprises build diverse and powerful teams. Dieter's career is nothing short of amazing. He's worked across continents as an executive of several top brands, such as Coca-Cola, Adidas, Furla, Toys R Us, and many more. He's now leveraging his vast professional experience in dealing with teams and people for the benefit of his corporate clients. Dita, welcome to TechShift F9. I'm very thankful for having you on this week's episode. Thanks, Maurizio. I'm very happy to be here. I've been looking forward to our chat about this. Dita, your seasoned executive has led some amazing brands and companies, and you've seen plenty of changes in the business world. As a CEO of a company, how do you go about keeping yourself up to date with technology? There's basically two things you need to do. And, you know, the, the simple kind of flippant answer is read a lot, read everything you can. And that's really one way is look at what's happening outside of your company. So keep educating yourself. But the other part is very much look at the status of what's inside your company. You know, what is the technology adoption that you have? When you run a business, making changes, especially on the technology side, of, more often than not, is incremental rather than revolutionary. So you're not going to find yourself on the bleeding edge of technology very often. More often, it's just how do you evolve what you have to really give you better productivity, better efficiency. What I've seen you know, with, with the different companies, you know, I've been CEO roles at Lacoste, Reebok, Toys R Us, Furla, and these are all well-known brands and worked for Coca-Cola, Gap, Adidas before that, all super well-known brands, right? You would expect to go into these with, okay, these guys really know what they're doing. They're, they're on top of things. And sometimes that's true and often it's not. So, you know, I've, I've been in situations where companies had great tools, great IT technology, but not the right people to use them. I've been in others where the IT was primitive. I mean, you know, spreadsheet type stuff, but great people, brilliant people actually are using it and leading edge in terms of the implementation of the technology. But this brings up an interesting point about the evolution of the discussion around technology inside mm. companies that are not tech focused or historically haven't been tech focused. Have you seen a shift uh, in the dialogue inside companies that you've managed, you've been part of, of the importance of technology for the business in general? Yeah, I think, and, and you're, I'm going to date myself here because you know, when I got started, basically what we're talking about is the big thing that had just happened was the computer evolution was you know, everywhere. But now we're talking mobile phones, right? At that point, very few people still had mobile phones. And within a, a couple of years, everybody had mobile phones. 
So, you know, one big aspect of that was voicemail. And everybody used voicemail. That's how that focus was at that time. And it was revolutionary. Now we take all these things for granted. When you look at these, these steps, there's many, many waves, and they're getting faster and faster. So if, if you're looking at you know, how does technology, the conversation inside companies, it will continue to evolve. And it's simply an, an, an adaptation race, if you will. I get the impression that uh, sometimes technology is seen as a cost necessarily, rather than as an opportunity to improve revenues and workflows and productivity. In that respect, do you feel that the companies uh, you've worked for in your experience and maybe some of your peers at the C-suite level have um, embraced more the cost-cutting aspect that technology can bring about or the uh, opportunity-generating um, aspect of uh, bringing new tech and development? And the reason why I ask that is because it's really important for people who are transitioning to a career that is heavily influenced by technology to know what kind of environment they're stepping into. What is the company mm. mindset, so to say? Yes, I think you're ans- asking an excellent question there. The, this is one thing that technology and people have in common because most companies view both as cost rather than investment. And I think that's very flawed. You know, just like you need to invest in people, you need to invest in technology. There are, in every industry, a few companies that see it that way, that act that way, and they typically end up being the leaders in their industry. Subsequent to that, I see that particularly today with the narrative about generative AI, um, that people are worried about losing their jobs, particularly in the white collar space. And this isn't new. I mean, we've seen it with big waves of new technological improvements and adoption in businesses. But as a manager, is there a way for you to, uh, well, manage that process internally, uh, minimize the lack of productivity, the loss of morale, or the uncertainty? Um, How how did you come across that? Well... You, you nailed it when you said this is not new. You know, we've gone through these cycles for 250 years now. And you look back at the, the steam engine, right? It's the creation of factories. And then it was electricity. Then it was the telephone, the telegram, cars, mass production, computers, IT technology. And now it's AI. It, it, it's always the same coverage in the media, if you will, where, okay, something big is changing, we have to be afraid. I think when you drill it down to the individual level, A, in general, there's much less fear than the way it's being talked about. But to answer the second part of your question, how you deal with it, very much to me, it's not about the conversation human versus technology. It always has to be human and technology. How we work will continue to evolve. In any given company for any given job, the only thing that you can be sure of, it is going to keep changing. That's the only guarantee you have. Beyond that, nothing is guaranteed. So that then implies the human has to be ready to change. So the person that you're talking to, to come to your point about 
fears of individuals in job security. Keep learning, keep educating yourself, keep an open mind, because the work that you do will continue to change and very often it's going to be augmented by the IT tools you get. No, I completely agree. However, now we have a situation where access to information and knowledge is very easily available. Uh, and the question is really what is going to be relevant in the workplace and what's perhaps uh, already obsolete or about to become so. And as an individual, I can you know try to find my way around this. But as a manager of, of, of a company, were you ever involved for example, implementing an upscaling or reskilling program? And if so, can you share what worked and what didn't work, perhaps? Yes, a number of times, actually. And the, I view upskilling and reskilling in, in a broader framework. I'll give you one example. With one company where one of my first responsibilities was to lead the implementation of SAP. It was, it was just leadership in terms of the steering committee. But they had actually tried to implement SAP and failed. So what we did then when I came in was look at what were the reasons for that failure. And invariably, it was a, a, a degree of human resistance, not really having talked large numbers of the team through how this is going to influence how they will work. And yes, it will change how they work and require some adaptation, but it'll make ultimately their work easier. So you, you need to create that willingness to adapt, to upskill. And it was a successful implementation once we addressed the human aspect of it. And that's, you know, that goes throughout. We've done something else in a very different kind of upskilling, we've we've used some psychometric tools that really helped in creating very powerful team dynamics. And that changes how the company basically functions because it directly affects your company's culture. So one of the things we're doing now with our business with learning the learning and development aspect is deploy that more broadly. But then there's also now some really interesting development in the L&D space where there's some great sophisticated tools out there that are completely self-guided. You know, if you want your team to come up with what's our what's going to be our future, how do we create an, an aggressive but appropriate plan for the future? How do we inject creativity in that? and envision where this company can be five, 10 years from now. There's some really great tools out there. And I want to talk about now your focus on recruitment and learning and mm -hmm. development. And so we live at a time where it seems that every couple of years we have, you know, <laughs> paradigm shifting technology that comes to the market like drones or blockchain, AI, NFTs, I could mm -hmm. go on and on. Um, and now that you are on the other side of the coin, so to say, advising companies, do you see them perhaps focus a little too much on the tech skills and the hard skills and not as much on the soft skills when hiring people? The simple answer is almost always yes. The the and it, there's a there's a again a very simple reason behind that. Hard skills are easy to understand, they're easy to quantify, easy to measure. 
So tech is easy. People are hard. It's, it, it, it really comes down to that very simple statement. Tech is easy. People are hard. So as companies, we tend to go the easy route. Okay, I can quantify that. I can have a checklist. Bang, bang, bang. That answers all my questions. The complexity of dealing with people requires much more. Yeah, and I think a lot of companies uh, also, unless they are tech companies, they sort of struggle to understand what are the requirements to make uh, that shift internally towards making technology a main part of their business process rather than just, oh, we have an IT department that fixes desktop when it doesn't work. And and so I'm not sure they're able to understand also their shift in the types of people they need to bring on board. And so can you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing um, in your current position to help companies overcome this, uh, not just the knowledge gap, but really a way of working gap that they that they may face? I think that's a really, really good question. And that's what we do basically as part of what we do as a business. We, we provide consulting services and it's in that area where these conversations take place. You know, they, it, it ultimately always comes down to give, give yourself a chance to start to look at your business differently, where you can, you can see the business not through the eyes of the past, which tends to be a rigid framework that you have in your mind. And then you make some simple adjustments to that. If you look at the business from the perspective of ultimately the customer, where is the customer going? What do they need? And, and this next question is the most important one. How can I understand that? And the answer always comes back to it's going to be technology and the people that know how to use it that will get you those answers. Many companies talk about people are our most important asset because it, it's you know a great slogan in every annual report. Practice is very different. But if you put people at the center, give them the right IT tools and the right framework, you can come up with very, very different answers that lead you to a very different interaction with your customers. What that requires is one simple thing. Put the customer at the center and make your organization data-driven. Know everything you can possibly know about your customer. Amen to that. I'm a big believer in, in using data smartly and throughout. I'm, when, when I uh, talk to even early-stage startuppers, and I always say, mm. uh, when you start a business, you got to measure. Uh, and they say, well, what should I measure? I say, measure everything. Everything mm -hmm. you do, and then you'll figure out what is more relevant and what is less relevant. Um, yes. but talking about skills uh, and roles uh, in the workplace, uh, I mean, you are at the forefront of helping companies also figure out what's going to happen in the future in terms of how they need to retool themselves from mm -hmm. a human resource perspective. And what are your thoughts on the uh, kind of skills and roles that will be in high demand over the next five to 10 years. And, you know, do we really have to all become computer programmers to survive? <laughs> Sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? Uh, there's no doubt that there, there's 
already increased demand and it's going to keep growing for programmers, engineers, data architects, scientists, and, and, and. So if that's the type of work that suits a person, there's plenty of opportunities ahead. But no, we, we don't all have to become that. We, you know, at the end of the day, business is with people. You know, we sell to people, whatever you're selling, whether it's a product or a service, you're selling to people. So somewhere in that equation, you'll need people to either have direct contact with the customer or, as we said a moment ago, in terms of looking at the data, interpret that data and help shape how you interact with customers. So the most important skills for anybody is simply adaptability to using new tools. I can give you one example. Please. Good friend, good friend is using AI to sift through nearly a hundred seminar feedback reports for one seminar at a time, right? Imagine the amount of time it takes for that person to look at that himself. AI does it for him. Huge time saving. Now this guy is nearly 70. So there is no there's no end, there's no deadline to being able to adapt to using technology. That's I, amazing. Yeah. It is amazing. There's beautiful stuff out there and those are great examples to follow at any age. And Dieter, uh, tech technological changes don't just impact managers, right? And I really would like to ask you something from a very different perspective. Um, what about new graduates? You know, these are young ones that are about to join or just join the job market, and their career will go through several big market tech changes. And you know, when I was entering the job market, and I was, you know, as dumb as it gets because I had no idea that the world was going to change. Um, and is there any way that uh, I hate the term in a sense, but you know what I mean? Can somewhat future-proof their careers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, to me, I, I'm not at all a fan of that expression, future-proof, because it's a myth. There's no way we can future-proof anything. We know things will be different. We know the change most likely will continue to accelerate. But even that is just an assumption. We don't know how fast. We don't know what's around the corner. A year, a year and a half ago, Nobody was talking about AI. Now we're all talking about AI. What are we going to talk about next year? There's going to be something else or something in addition to. So the, the advice to new grads is very simple. Keep an open mind, be flexible, learn and keep learning and have fun doing it. And don't look at this as a threat. Look at this as opportunities. When we talked earlier about like, tech versus human, one, one, I think one simple advice is to think of tech as toys. It's a new toy to play with, ultimately, for everybody. And sometimes, yes, companies do that and overinvest in leading-edge technology when they're not ready yet. But you know, dial it back to the individual, in this case, the new grad. Look at these things as toys to play with, tools that make you more valuable. Because you know, if you only know how to 
ride a bicycle in this day and age, then that probably limits your job availability in many, many cities. We, in Tokyo, we live in an environment where we have great public transportation. In much of the world, that's not the case. So if you can't drive a car to work, well, you may not have work as a result. To use a slightly older technology as an example. <laughs> that makes complete sense. Dieter, this brings us to a close for uh, this week's episode. I really appreciate having you here with some wonderful advice. Thank you so much. But if people want to find more about you and your company, Excellence at Work, uh, where mm -hmm. can they do so? They can find us online on our website, eawjp.com. EAW just stands for Excellence at Work, which is the environment we're trying to create for all our customers and candidates. Plus, of course, on my personal LinkedIn, as well as our company's Excellence at Work LinkedIn page. Wonderful. Thanks again, Dieter. Maurizio, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, hearing from Dieter Haberl has been nothing short of inspirational and thought-provoking. I'm confident you've all enjoyed our talk and hope you'll tune in next week too. Stay cool, stay positive.